The series is called Swords and Sledgehammers, and we're entering into week three of studying what it looks like to be a builder of God's kingdom and also a warrior in God's kingdom. And Nehemiah is in the process of rebuilding the ruined walls of Jerusalem. God has given him a fierce passion and desire to do the work, and now he's executing it. He's taking action on the plan that God has laid out in front of him. And in the process, others have been motivated to take action alongside of him. And applying that to our lives, we've been asking God to produce a passion within us to be kingdom builders for his glory and then giving us the courage and the faith to take action in his plan when he lays it out in front of us. And so far, everything Nehemiah has attempted moving forward, God has granted him success in it. He got permission from the king to leave his post as the cupbearer to go and do this job. Along the way, everything was provided for him material-wise. He got letters to the governor of the forest, Asaph, giving him permission to cut down trees so that he could have wood to build his house, but also to rebuild the gates and the walls of Jerusalem. And then also God provided people along the way to help him with the work. This task would be impossible for Nehemiah to complete by himself. So God began to provide people. God began to put a passion on other people's hearts to join in on the work. You guys do realize the same thing applies for us, right? The Great Commission is impossible for one person. But as God puts a passion upon our heart to go and reach the nations and we join together in that work, well, now it becomes a task that can be completed, that can be done. So things have been going good for, for Nehemiah. And, and last week, as things were trucking right along, we were introduced to a few individuals by the names of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab. And they had only expressed their displeasure about what Nehemiah was doing. So Nehemiah gave them a quick shutdown. And work on the wall continued. But things are about to get a little more heated as we began to swap out the sledgehammer for the sword. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The scripture says, Now when Sanballat, everybody say Sanballat, heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And burn ones at that. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. This is Nehemiah interjecting a prayer. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Sounds like a pretty intense prayer, right? Like I thought as Christians we're supposed to be forgiving, right? I thought we were supposed to we we're supposed to reach out to people in love and Nehemiah saying, God, turn back their anger on their own hands. Don't cover their guilt. Don't forgive their sin. Sounds kind of kind of rough, doesn't it? Sounds kind of unchristian like of Nehemiah to do so. There's a difference between reaching out in love to the people around us and defending God's honor when somebody comes against it. Nehemiah is defending the honor of God. Verse 6, so we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat, everybody say Sambalat. And Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. Now, I know we're all southern folks. Breaches are, are holes. It's not what you put on in the morning on your pants. 
breeches, not britches. And they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Verse 10, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. I want to speak to you tonight from the subject of not-so-secret Sandballots. Everybody say Sandballot. Three men that we've been introduced to really stand in opposition of Nehemiah at this point. Tobiah, Geshem, and Sandballot. But Sandballot is the one who's the most outspoken in his anger and displeasure. He's the one that decides he's going to take the lead role in opposing the work that Nehemiah and the people of God are doing in rebuilding the wall. And it's funny in a sense because if you were to look up what Sandballot's name means... It literally means enemy in secret. But it's pretty obvious that he's in opposition. Can I tell you guys that when you boldly stand and get to work building God's kingdom, there will be obvious opposition that comes against you. There is an enemy that will draw his sword against you, and his name is Satan. And he's obvious in nature, but he's subtle in his tactics. And I want to show you guys tonight some of the ways his opposition will manifest itself in our lives so that you can have a recognition of it when it shows up. Because you can't fight it if you don't recognize it. So one of the ways in which his opposition will manifest itself in our lives is quite simply just by talk. Just by talk. Go back and look in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, When Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? The enemy loves to use talk as a way of attacking God's people who are working for his glory. And as the people are working, Sambalat is mocking. The passage tells us that he was jeering at the Jews. Now, to jeer means, quite simply, to make rude remarks. But I think what's more important to know about that is that it means to make rude remarks, typically in a loud fashion. So it's not like he was whispering about the Jews behind their back. As they're standing there together rebuilding the wall, he's standing off to the side and he is openly making fun of them. He is openly mocking them. He's openly saying these questions. How do you think Nehemiah could record what he was saying? He heard him screaming it. What are they going to do? Are they going to rebuild the wall? Are they going to come in here and have their little sacrifices like they like to do? What are they doing? What are these feeble Jews doing? So he's speaking in a loud voice. And can I tell you, the more diligently you work, the louder the enemy will yell. But he has to. He has to. Because the more focused you become on doing God's work, the less you hear or pay attention to His voice. So He has to yell. He has to scream. Because when you immerse yourself in the work that God has given you, you block everything else out. Have you ever noticed that in 
in Scripture that God whispers, but the enemy yells? He has to yell. You know why? Because he doesn't have the same proximity to your life that God does. And so he has to yell because we're so focused on doing the work that he's got to try and get through. But one of the main reasons that our opposition talks to us is to cast doubt. And this is really where I want to focus in on this main point. Sambadat poses five questions that you read in scriptures. And four of them begin with the same two words. I don't know if you noticed or not. But four of those questions begin with the same two words. Will they? Will they do this? Will they do that? Will they rebuild? Will they sacrifice? Don't you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to cast doubt. As he's standing off to the side and he's screaming and he's taunting and he's making fun of them, he's trying to place doubt within their minds. Y'all really think you can do this? Y'all really think you can rebuild this whole thing? You really think that you're going to be able to rebuild this wall against the king's orders, against all the opposition, and there's not very many of you working anyway. It's not like the whole nation was working on the walls. Only a select few people that decided to show up and do the work. Y'all really think that you can do this? He's trying to cast out. You know, it sounds familiar to me, to another account that took place in a garden. Did God really say? Come on, Eve. Adam. Did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? The enemy loves to talk and cast doubt. But then we see Nehemiah's voice enter back in, in verse 4. But he isn't giving a response to Sanballat. He's making a request to God. And it's important to understand that because when the enemy talks, you can talk back. Just don't talk to him. Talk to one who's over him. The enemy loves to use talk to bring opposition into our lives when we're trying to build God's kingdom. But the second way this will manifest itself is that he likes to use threats as well. Go back and look at verse 7. It says, But when Sambalat, everybody say Sambalat. And Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. And as Nehemiah and the people continue building, Sambalat increases the tenacity of his tactics. And you can expect the same to be true in your life if you're going to continue building for the glory of God in spite of the talk that the enemy brings into your life, then he will increase the tenacity of his tactics to try and get you to stop. So he begins to threaten God's people, plotting a way to come and attack them. And he lets it be known that a fight's coming. Alright, if you guys aren't going to listen to the taunts, I'm going to start giving you the threats. A fight's coming your way if you don't put down your hammers and stop working on this wall. There's a good possibility that you will face threats living for Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul advises us in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 11, to not be unaware of the fact that we have an enemy that is always scheming against us. Those are two very similar words, plotting against and scheming against. The same way in which opposition is plotting against Nehemiah is the same way in which Satan is scheming against every one of you for living for God's glory. Don't be ignorant of it, is what Paul says. Be aware of the fact that you have an enemy 
that will breathe threats out against you. Your job could be threatened when you live for Jesus. You have relationships that could be threatened when you live for Jesus. Your life could be threatened if you live for Jesus. Missionaries, just to give you all a peek into the, into the world outside of America, where actual persecution exists, it's not here yet. It may be one day, but it's not here yet. Not like it is in the 1040 window. Missionaries with the International Mission Board, as they are preparing to go into countries that are hostile to the gospel, the mission board will bring them one by one into a room and will interrogate them in a mock way. You guys, for your classes at school, as you get further advanced in your degrees, you might sit through mock interviews so you can be prepared when a job comes your way how to perform when that interview shows up. Missionaries sit in mock interrogations. They try to pry information out of them about their family, about them personally, about the people that they love, about the faith that they claim to have. This stuff is real, guys. There is a real enemy that poses a real threat when you live for the glory of God. So you may very well face real threats in this world for being a kingdom builder for God. But you know, one thing I've learned throughout the years is that the enemy only threatens when he feels threatened. And here's what I want to say to you guys. Don't, don't be concerned with being threatened. Be concerned with not being a threat. Jeremy? Don't be concerned about being threatened. You're bigger than I thought you. Right? We sing the songs, don't we? Don't be concerned about being threatened. Be concerned that you might not be a threat. Because that's the only time the enemy bristles his back. Is when you, as a warrior and a builder for God's kingdom begin to back him into a corner and undermine his authority. Threats. The third way that his opposition will manifest itself in our, in our lives is confusion. Back in verse 8, we already read it, but it says that one of the reasons why they wanted to come and fight against him in Jerusalem was to cause confusion in it. One of the greatest hindrances to any work or project is confusion. Sam Ballot knew if he could cause confusion among the people, that the work would stop. No confusion, or, or confusion, no communication. And so that became a part of his plan. Listen to me, the enemy will cause confusion in your life to try and get you to forget what your job as a believer really is. That's why God isn't about confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to look it up sometime, Paul talks about how our God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. God isn't about confusion. So if you've got confusion in your life about things, I can assure you of one thing. It's not from God. God does not cause confusion in the life of his children. The enemy does that. And so Sam about decides, well, maybe we can cause such chaos, maybe we could cause such confusion that they'll just stop working. And the enemy will do the same thing in your life. If he can get you so confused about other things, he knows that you'll set the hammer down. You know, 
I'm going pick to pick on y'all a little bit. College age and young adults are the most confused people on the planet. And don't argue with me on this, okay? Because I'm invested in, in y'all's lives. I know what it's like to walk in the shoes that you've been through. Trust me, I was one of those confused people, extremely confused at one time. Y'all are the most confused people on the face of the planet. I thought if nothing else got an amen or anything tonight, somebody might agree on that. And y'all think, well, we're not confused. You're right. You're absolutely not confused. You're not confused about your friendships. Nah. You missed it, Trey. All right. You're not confused about dating. Okay. We might give you that one. Still not very hot, though. You're not confused about your career. <laughs> Getting warmer. Maybe he's on to something. You're not... You, do we have any freshmen in here tonight? I'm not going to make you stand up or anything. Just, you're not confused about which degree to choose, are you? Do we have any seniors in here? You're not confused about the degree you decided to choose, are you? <laughs> confused, man. You're the most confused people on the face of the planet. Listen to me, though. To the point that I'm convinced the reason why, the reason why you're the most confused people is because the enemy knows you are currently living on one of the largest mission fields on the planet. And if he can confuse you, he can keep you from construction. So now everybody's confused about relationships. Everybody's confused about friendships. Everybody's confused about degrees. Everybody's confused about careers. Everybody's confused about callings. And we walk around in this cloud of confusion, and you never once pick up the hammer while you're on campus. There's a reason why Satan picks on y'all with confusion. Because when this opportunity is done, you never get it back. You'll never have the same kind of relationships that you have on campus once you walk off of it. And sure, you can be like me one day. God might call you to a similar position. You can walk on campus and you can try your best to build relationships, but you're going to get looked at like a weirdo. No matter how cool or relevant you think you're trying to keep yourself, that ain't going to work. Trust me. I sat in the BCM today at a church fair and watched student after student come through and look at me like I was some kind of growth on the side of our table. You're not going to be cool one day. You're going to be a loser like all of us other graduated people. And so Satan says, I'll keep them confused while they're there. And if I can keep them confused, I can keep them from construction. They won't work because they're too worried about other things. The next thing he'll bring into your life to form opposition against you is a real personal one to me right now. So I'm not a super emotional guy, but the past month or so has been kind of emotional for me. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a buffer in case something happens up here. Just remain calm. 
And it'll be awkward for a little bit, but then we'll get through it. And God will use it. Discouragement. Opposition will come in the form of discouragement. Look in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much trouble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Even though Nehemiah and the people had been facing opposition, through the talks, through the threats, through the attempted confusion, they continued to work. You can go back and look in the previous, from verse 6, right in that area, it talks about how, so we built the wall. Even though they were being talked against, even though they were being threatened, even though Samballot, everybody say Samballot, was attempting to cause confusion amongst them, it says that they still built the wall. The people had a mind to work. And then in verse 10, all of a sudden there seems to be a momentum shift. The people who had been working so hard got tired. And then they got overwhelmed. And then they got discouraged. I want you guys to hear this. You believers in the room tonight, discouragement is dangerous. Discouragement is dangerous. These people have been able to push through all other obstacles that have been set in front of them, but when discouragement crept in, for the very first time they backed away from the work and they said, it's too much. All the other talking, the standing outside the wall day by day, making fun of them for the work that they were doing, all the threats, hey, we're going to come, we're going to attack you guys. We're going to make war against you. We're going to put an end to this. We're going to cause you to set the hammer down. All the attempted confusion, they stayed together as a unit. None of that distracted them from the work. But all of a sudden, they got discouraged. They got a little bit tired. Once they got tired, they got overwhelmed. There's a progression to this. Once they got overwhelmed, they became discouraged. Then they began to look around at everything that was in front of them, and they said, it's too much. We can't do it. We can't do it. What happened to that tenacity that they had? What happened to that fierceness? What happened to their drive? What happened to their passion? What happened to their desire to fight for God's glory and His honor? Where did it go? They had come so far, guys. They had made so much progress. Things had come along so much further from where they had been. But listen, this is why discouragement is so dangerous. It causes you to lose sight of what has been restored and only see what remains in rubble. That's what discouragement does. When you get discouraged, you lose sight of all the things that God has restored and you start looking around at all the things that remain in rubble. And then the thing that you once saw as opportunity, you now see is overwhelming. And then you set the hammer down. Opposition will rise up and it will attempt to discourage you. One more. This one might come as a little bit of a surprise. There's another way that opposition will manifest itself. Another tactic that the enemy will use in its friendly fire. Go look back in verse 11. 
Our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the works. So they had heard the threats. But then look at verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. When word got out that there may be a potential ambush in place on the people that were working, friends, family members, acquaintances, all began to show up and beg them to come home. <laughs> the text says that, that people from all directions came and began to beg and plead with them to come home. Why would you stay here? It's not worth it. They're going to come after you, man. You could possibly die rebuilding this wall, and you don't even know if you'll be able to get the work done or not. Why would you stay here? It's not worth it. Just come home. Sometimes opposition against God's work in our lives shows up as friendly fire. Friends and family begin to question what you feel led to do. I wonder how many of you have shared a passion or a calling with somebody that you thought would have been in full support in your corner and you got a response that you didn't expect. You're going there? You chose that as a career? Well, I just don't know how you can make a living with that. I just don't know how you can provide for a family like that. Why don't we start supporting each other in our pursuit of glorifying God instead of questioning it? Because my question is, all these people that came from different directions to try and convince these people to come home? Why weren't they already there working on the wall? Maybe if the two million people that were a part of the Jewish population were all present and helping work on the wall, Sam Ballot wouldn't have been so bold to walk up and challenge them. The enemy loves the fact that 20% of the church is doing 100% of the work. You know why? Because that's an easy little group to pick on. Be aware of friendly fire that sometimes come with good intentions. It's just another way opposition that God's work can manifest itself. I came across an article today, actually, about a pastor in India. And India is a very, 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 very dangerous place to be a Christian. You face a lot of opposition in that country for being outspoken in your faith in Jesus. And so this guy was, was leading this this church home, and he had been sharing the gospel, and a lot of people had been giving their lives to Jesus, so much so that everybody else around him couldn't help but take notice of the vast difference that was taking place in these people's lives. And as this guy was sharing the gospel, people were responding, they were giving their lives to Jesus, and then they were doing what 
true disciples do. They were going out and telling other people about the faith that they had in Jesus, and they were giving their lives to Jesus. And so word began to spread about what was taking place in this area. And so a group of Hindu extremists show up at his house, and they threaten him. They threaten him, and they tell him, if you don't stop teaching the gospel and salvation in Jesus, We'll do something that will convince you to stop. And so this guy, being bold, still, and courageous in his faith, continued to go out and share the gospel. And while he was out one day ministering to some of the people in the village, his wife calls him. They have a four-year-old daughter. And she says, something's wrong with our little girl. The school called and says she's very, very sick. We need to come pick her up and take her to the doctor as quick as we can. And so he rushed back home and got with his wife, and they went to the school. And His daughter was very sick, vomiting, high fever, extremely sick, took her to the doctor. Well, they ran some tests, couldn't find out anything was wrong with her. It didn't look like she had a virus or anything like that. And so as they began to run more tests, they found out that she had been raped. Four years old. These extremists had plotted against this man and his family and secretly snuck men into the school under disguise. And they found his daughter and they raped her. And this man and his family, of course, were crushed and broken over the fact that this had happened. I can't even imagine. But he's still ministering in the same area. They never left. And the guy that was writing the article asked him why. Why didn't you leave? Why wouldn't you pack up and, and leave this place, especially after this has happened? Why would you stay here any longer and continue ministering to these people? And his response was, God's plan to use us to bring others to Jesus hasn't changed. It's no secret, guys. Opposition will rise up against you. But God's plan hasn't changed. It's still all or nothing in our responsibility to go and reach the nations around us, to go and reach our classmates, to go and reach our family members, to go and reach our teammates, to go and reach our roommates, our lab partners, and everybody in between. Opposition, you can bet it's going to come against you, but it doesn't change God's plan. You got to keep the hammer in one hand, but you got to learn to pick up the sword in the other. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. 
Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through his word here at Life.